When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer-A-Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer-A-Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We're continuing our camp series, uh, our camp question series, and this this time talking about the tight ends today. Here to join me on that, our good friend of the show, Alec Pulianis from One Winning Pod. Alec, how are you doing? Doing well, Ken. Thanks for having me on. Uh, always, always our pleasure, Alec. You know that. Uh, so the Ravens' tight end position, one of the deeper positions on the team, kind of like safety 
uh, on the offense mm-hmm. uh, in terms of having uh, just a ton of depth here. The four guys, uh, you, know, you normally would not keep four tight ends. The Ravens, you could say, have five in a sense, uh, but we won't include Patrick Ricard in this because we discussed him in the running back series. Uh, but Patrick Ricard, of course, plays uh, tight end things into the degree we need to talk about him schematically. Don't think I'm, I'm cutting you off here or anything, mm-hmm. but uh, uh, to talk about the other uh, four uh, you know, tight ends who are likely to make the roster, no pun intended, they, uh, uh, and two others who are kind of on the fringe of consideration, uh, certainly might be there uh, if depth does not hold up, might end up on the practice squad. We're going to talk about them as well. So who would you like to start with, Alec? You're the guest. I think we got to start with Mark Andrews, right? I mean, he is uh, the, I mean, not the elder state, statesman of the group because of Boyle, but he's the most prolific of the group. And, uh, you know, we're all looking for another big year out of him this year coming up. And I think uh, there's no reason to think it won't happen. Um, Mark Andrews is, his success this year will really dictate uh, the success of the offense in many ways. You know, he's such a key piece with Hollywood out of the picture. We'll be looking to lean on him in the past game and, uh, I think we'll see a lot of him this year. Yeah, kind of a, a correlation and causation in the uh, in the comment you just made. If Mark Andrews has a big year, it's a good thing for the Ravens, right. just generally speaking. Um, the connection with Lamar is absolutely critical. Mark Andrews can have a big year and it not be good for the Ravens also. Yes. <laughs> uh, but that's less likely. And we saw last year, obviously, had a ton of targets. Uh, a lot of that was scheming the ball out quickly with Huntley. Uh, because, you know, obviously lack of pocket awareness. Uh, he took way too many sacks. So they really had to build the offense around um, less favorable targets for Brown and Andrews, uh, which was unfortunate and really, really kind of hurt the team as it went on. But uh, Andrews, obviously, in any year is going to be the key piece. Uh Definitely made even more strides to have that connection with Lamar last year. Sometimes it seemed like, you know, I've been referring to it as hive mind uh, when he knows what open spot to go into on the field and Lamar knows how he's going to react to where he is on the field mm-hmm. uh, without motions needing to be made, although sometimes they are. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, yeah. But it, it uh, just having those two just gives you a lot of confidence in, uh, in that particular connection. For sure. And I think it's interesting to see, particularly with this depth we're talking about, with the tight end group, how often Mark Andrews lines up more as a wide receiver in the most recent episode of our show, we'd actually really leaned into the tight ends. We were talking about the overall topic was, um, implied personnel versus the actual formation. But the, mm-hmm. um, the reason that's such an interesting question is because of the tight end depth and yeah. the versatility. And, um, to just go off of that one bit, you talked about how the, this is one of our deeper groups and also safety. And they're kind of correlated positions on either side of the field. And uh, they said in the press conference of the draft that Eric DaCosta thinks that those two positions are undervalued in the NFL. And I think mm-hmm. so too. And it's really interesting to see how we're doubling down on it and being ahead of that wave, in my opinion. Um, so we'll see with the, how the wide receiver market's going, if this is the right bet. But uh, that's one of the reasons I wanted to tie in with you is I'm really excited about this group and I'm excited about the position in general. Um, it's one of my favorite positions. Yeah, so there is there is the, the the possibility for both those groups to really have their markets reset. I think to, to a degree, the tight end is already going through that. And Andrews is now not the top paid tight end mm-hmm. anymore. He's what, fourth or something or whatever he is. But uh, safety, Jesse Bates, uh, you know, may or may not hold out this year for the Bengals. And, you know, he's looking for a big new monster contract. He's on the franchise tag now, has rejected a very, you know, what, 
the Bengals guy seems to think is a very generous contract offer. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, he really wants to test the open market and probably, you know, blow the top off the safety market. And if so, the Ravens are in a very good position having three safeties locked in at cheap dollars, high value guys for the next two years. And you can you can add stone to that group as well and say, you know, that's a that's a fourth safety, two years of cheap control remaining for him. Uh, that is a pretty sweet position to be in at a position that it's about to explode. And, you know, to, to what you just spoke about, the Ravens being ahead of the curve on some of that, I think it's a very important point. Mm-hmm. Uh, Andrews, one of the things that was a little bit frustrating last year is that the, the passer rating throwing to him was not that high or not as high as you would think. I think I saw a value of 93, but it might have been 95 is the passer rating throwing to him. And the main problem was there were nine interceptions on Mm -hmm. the balls thrown in his direction. Obviously, that's a big problem. I think that really speaks to how many contested throws um, were forced to him last year. Uh, There have been times where his hands and... uh, balls get tipped by him or dropped and that's led to some interceptions i i don't think that was as much the problem this last year as just they're trying to throw it to him all the time he's being bracketed if it's a little overthrown as it was sometimes with huntley or lamar then it can get intercepted uh chance obviously always to be undercut as well yeah i'd love to see the breakdown between lamar and huntley but i do think there were issues on both sides we definitely saw there are points where even lamar was forcing the ball in his direction uh, in not very smart plays, right? And that's the give and take of the hive mind, in my opinion. You know, yeah. they everyone knows that they're in sync, so they're always looking at each other. <laughs> yeah. Well, in, in I'll, I'll tell you, the major breakdown is this. Lamar's four-interception game, mm-hmm. the, the first one of his career, all four of those balls were intended for Andrews. Yeah, yep. So that, that was very bad. Um, and then Huntley, it looks like, there were two in week 18 against Pittsburgh that were intended for him. The one in the Chicago game was obviously Huntley's. Uh, and I guess the one in the Pittsburgh game after the first Cleveland game would have been Lamar as well. And then it was the, the second Cleveland game at Cleveland where Lamar got hurt mm-hmm. and was done for the year. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, it was, it was a mix, um, but, uh, but each of them did their part. And that, and that uh, Cleveland game, certainly uh, uh, that first Cleveland game, a, a really bad one, the kind of one that, that kills your uh, passer rating to you <laughs> if you're... <laughs> I know. Yeah. If you're uh, uh, Andrews. But anyway, uh, uh, you know, fine year. Uh, that number has to go down. There have to be less contested, more only open targets. So it's, it's important to note just that Lamar needs another player or two that he's connected with. You know, you can't afford to have, um, you know, Miles Boykin, say, on the field who is just not getting the football even when open mm-hmm. as as much as is happening. And, uh, you know, Lamar, for, for all his gifts and all of the things he has done well, is hyper-focused on Andrews and in the past on Brown. Um, and, and that hadn't worked out perfectly. Um, Boyle, by comparison, in 2019, by the way, it didn't have a you know big receiving year or anything, but the passer rating throwing to him was 133. Mm. And that's more like, you know, you're, you're, the fewer targets you get, generally speaking, I'd say the higher 
your passer rating to is going to is going to be because you're going to get more of the obvious targets. Your bailout receiver type is always going to get more contested catches. I remember looking at that in particular when the when the Ravens got Michael Crabtree mm-hmm. from the Raiders. He had really been the bailout guy for Derek Carr in Oakland, and you just. If any time Carr was scrambling for his life, he, he would throw it in Crabtree's direction and hope for the best because Crabtree's a big physical receiver and a fight for the football. And, uh, you know, it, it worked out for him a fair degree, but it really lowered Crabtree's per-target statistics to have that be happening. His catch rate wasn't as good. Mm-hmm. He wasn't, uh, you know, he wasn't doing as much after the catch, obviously. You can see why that would be true. Um, uh, but, a, but a whole bunch of things just, just were not as good for Crabtree. And yet still in some of those conditions this is part of the problem of not really understanding marginal targets and the value of those that i don't think we completely evaluate receivers or receiver back quarterback combinations as well as we should Hmm. that's really interesting yeah i think that it's a good point because we've talked about we want to see mark andrews have a higher uh catch rate relative Mm -hmm. to targets and when you're the bailout guy, by definition, you're going to get some really difficult <laughs> opportunities that you're throwing your way, yep. and it'll lower your score um, just just out of that fact. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That uh, you know that catch percentage, his is at sixty percent um, for this year, roughly, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, not a terrible percentage, but way too low for a tight end, frankly, just way too low. And and I blame a fair amount of that on you know what was happening with with Huntley towards the end of the year but you know he had he had bad games with Lamar as well um in, in terms of do I have that correct in terms of the catch percentage I'm not looking at at uh pro football reference right now and I need to do that um but if I if I do something tells me that is too low it just doesn't make any sense to me but I know he had 150 targets uh, no, catch percentage is almost 70%, 69.9. Okay. It's actually the highest of his career, surprisingly, but that's probably a lot of schemed short throws. And his yards per target was the second highest um, he's actually had on the season. So uh, they have the passer rating throwing to him at 92.5%, at 92.5 with nine interceptions also. So that's that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, only three drops in 153 targets for Andrews. That's absolutely terrific. Yeah, in a way, the drops are almost more important to keep down, in my opinion, than even the catch percentage. Obviously, we want to see him catch it more, but that that's a two-way street, right? With mm-hmm. how the ball is getting delivered to him, at opportunity, etc. So, yeah, I think um, seeing how the drops are measured is uh, definitely a big thing. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, what I would say about the drop number is it's a small number to impact. It's like I, I, I want, you know... Hank Aaron to, to cut down on his caught stealing rate or Babe Ruth to do that. And, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a small number in the, in the scheme of things. And when, with Andrews, the, the thing I worry about even more is the tipped ball percentage that, yeah. you know, he goes up and he tries to make a play on the ball and then it ends up in a safety's hands. Um, and, and I'm, you know, obviously if that there's a fair, there's been a fair amount of that in, in terms of, of uh, what's happened over the years, most famously in that Titans playoff game. Uh, but uh, yeah, yeah, he, he, he playing injured. You know, I, yeah, <laughs> I, I don't want to major in minors. Is all I'm saying. I, I, I would agree with you. I, you know, a drop percentage. You know, when he drops one out of fifty balls is terrific. Uh, sign me up for that. Yeah. But if it were five out of fifty and he'd have five less tipped balls, uh, I might, I might take that instead. Yeah, that's fair because the drop is a lot yeah. less likely to be uh, intercepted than the, the tip. The tips are 
Very scary. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So uh, we're, we'd like to see Andrews. So just in, in terms of improvement, you want to see a higher catch rate out of Andrews, uh, mm-hmm. a little bit better, a little bit uh, fewer tipped balls maybe to me fewer contested targets would be really nice if he if he if he had more opportunities to scheme him open that may be kind of a uh, pie in the sky hope because the ravens don't have the wide receiving threats that will obviously create that space as they did with marquise in the past Mm -hmm. yeah at least at this point like from what we've seen um it'd be very surprising to see duvernay become that kind of player at this point um Mm -hmm. i just don't necessarily see it with him uh Prochet, while i think he has a lot to offer to the team that won't be in that perspective so it is going to be uh really leaning i think on bateman i think bateman has a lot more long ball opportunity than uh people give him credit for he has good mm-hmm. speed um he has good wiggle you know everything i think he's a totally complete receiver so there's a chance there but obviously bateman and hollywood would be more so you know there's uh there's definitely a little bit of a hole right now on the team from that perspective. Um, and I do agree with you though, that having less, um, of those contested catches towards Andrews, because there's other options that are giving, um, Lamar confidence would be great. I think that would be really nice to know in those high pressure situations is not necessarily always going to go to Andrews or always go to Bateman, you know, really even just one more person there would be great. And uh, it could actually be Dobbins, in my opinion. If he's, could, could be Dobbins, who's, yeah. who's taking the lid off the defense so as, as a flanker or something as you, you move him out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's hard to get him released deep without using motion. Right. And the Ravens are so um, averse, I will say, to, to uh, uh, using their motion on a back. They'll use it on a receiver in jet motion. Mm-hmm. They'll use it on a uh, you know Duvernay, whatever. They'll use it on tight end very frequently on early downs, um, and sometimes they don't have any motion. But but they're very they just do not often motion the running back uh, out to you know out to an empty out of an empty set. Oh yeah, I know. I, I'm curious to see if that is a part of the evolution of the offense. Um, I think they just make it more versatile. So we'll see. You, by, by that, I obviously mean to create an empty set. It would be kind of silly. <laughs> I don't yeah. know why I have to correct myself like that, but, but I feel the need to <laughs> get the semantics correct in that particular case. Um, uh, let's move on and talk a little bit about a guy who's returning and I think is still an enormous part of the offense, uh, and that's Nick Boyle. Yeah, he's definitely the wild card of the situation. I mean, as are the rookies because they're unproven, but I do think his ability to recover and his percentage of his former self will really dictate the future of these rookies in a way and also the uh, how the year unfolds. Because when Boyle is, you know, blocking well, he's a he's a sneaky good, uh, I feel like, outlet wide receiver, uh, you know, in the, catching the ball. He's not going to make anything too crazy, but he has pretty dependable hands and pretty, um, you know, he. I, I feel like he actually can be trusted in the game, and, and I think Lamar feels the same way. So I think he could get a ton of snaps, if he's healthy, an absolute ton of snaps. So I think he's the biggest wall card. Yeah, he's definitely, he's a guy that um, understands what Lamar is trying to do, understands how to extend the play for Lamar, 
positively both as a blocker with a late release getting into a, a you know a space where he can create a first down or even a touchdown if you're down in the red zone mm-hmm. uh, maintain a direct connection on Lamar where a, any kind of a fade or a uh, uh, you know a high ball is not needed uh, to get him. he could he could go get that ball he's just not often put in that position you know with the touchdowns we saw at Buffalo and other places in 2019 were, were cases of him releasing late uh, finding a little open spot and maybe going two yards after the catch or something yeah. for a touchdown I think in Buffalo he might have he might have actually been in the end zone when he caught the ball and I'm, I'm trying to kind of mentally go through that and I might be combining plays <laughs> in, in my thought yeah he can find the soft spot um, very effectively that's one of his uh, good traits so I definitely, it seems like, you know, there's a different vibe around him and I haven't seen him perform in person yet. Uh, looking forward to, you know, seeing a camp and seeing the clips that start coming out. But I do think that he's, uh, he definitely seems to be in, in better shape than he was last year. Last year, just, he wasn't all the way there. And it was, it was sad too, because we had so many players in a similar situation to Boyle where they were playing, but they weren't really fully there from a health perspective. Yeah, yeah, it uh, it certainly is true. It really shows up in his in his 2019 stats that almost half his yards were yak mm. that year. Uh, didn't have a bad average depth of target, but almost half his his uh, yards were yak. And and normally that's something I would associate with maybe a running back who runs a fair number of screen passes. Uh, in fact, you know you can have you can have negative um, a dot or sorry uh, re- average reception depth of target mm-hmm. um, but but it's uh, and we've seen that from Ray Rice in, in past years but Baltimore doesn't run that kind of offense and it, it still with the number of late release catches that Boyle had made it actually kind of surprises me that his yak would have been that good it, it, it this is this is something I would I would tie to a lot of good uh, play action opportunities for Boyle that year, and, and he did have a fair amount. I I, I know that's true, but it's uh, uh, I think it's I think it's fair to say we probably can't expect that for him again. I think 2019 Nick Boyle uh, we won't have again. But but if we if if we could have a portion of that where he can still do the blocking and he could be you know 75 percent of the receiver he was that year, uh, that'd be terrific. Yeah, definitely. I think. We're looking at a situation where if he's able to perform it that way, he's really going to box out Likely and Kolar's ability to see the field. And Mm -hmm. if he's not, or if one of these guys are just undeniable, but I feel like tight end is such a hard position to pick up the first year. Even Andrews, who showed a lot of good flashes his first year, it wasn't, you know, like that. So I don't foresee that happening. I do think this is Boyle's quote unquote job to lose. And I think that if he's, again, if he's there, it, the impact that he has to the running game is substantial. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, he's, he's definitely one of Roman's guys and, and for a good reason is that, you know, he's, he really understands how to block for Roman's run schemes. And uh, that includes, you know, being a good keep your feet blocker in level two and level three when that's what's asked of him. And sometimes it is, or it includes being a good motion guy. But he's a move tight end. And when you look down at the Ravens roster and who really is that, Andrews, you know, maybe he could be that, but you don't want to waste Mark Andrews. You know, he's your best pure receiver at being the move tight end. You want him in line or flexed one or the other where he's looking to run a route off the line of scrimmage, looking to impose his big physical box out body on other players with with uh, uh, Ricard 
would be the other guy that they would use in a similar way to Boyle, but they would love to have them both on the field at the same time and run their offense the way the 49ers do with Juszczyk and Kittle, where they have, you know, effectively seven offensive linemen who can really move. They can, they can do some things even when they're, they're catching the football, um, but they know what they're doing in terms of, of blocking schemes too. So yeah, uh, I hope they're able to do that. Oh yeah. I mean, that's super cool. And then you add Mark Andrews as the other uh, quote unquote wide receiver in that situation. Mm-hmm. And you know, he can still block and it, it gives you so much versatility. So I think that's a super exciting um, option for the Ravens going forward. And the uh i don't know just you can do jumbo packages right Mm -hmm. but i don't think the ravens will need to given their personnel and that's that's the exciting part yeah and 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 in fact when boyle was hurt initially in 20 they went to a lot of uh packages where where they didn't really know what to do with their extra eligible receiver but a lot of sixth offensive lineman uh play with cologne and with others you know coming into the game and and play on the end and that's yeah, you can play jumbo like that. I'd love to see them, you know, bring in Daniel Falele for an occasional mm-hmm. uh, with an occasional change of pace mm-hmm. for that. Um, but uh, uh, you know, I, I don't want to see that be the regular way they run that. I don't want I, I don't want to see them take a tight end off the field for Falele too often. Yeah, it's a great thing to use in goal line when you need one yard. Great, yeah, sure. To have at it when 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 you're telegraphing the quarterback power run anyway, having fun <laughs> yeah, on the exactly. field is fine. I know, um, but uh, but yeah, that's uh, that is the way it is. Well, let's move on to the rookies because a couple exciting guys both picked up in the fourth round. Um, we, we start with Charlie Kolar of Iowa State. Uh, you know, a guy big bodied. Uh, but also uh, long arms and definitely an away from the body catcher, which is what I love to see in a tight end. Definitely is good for box out characteristics uh, to want to have that guy with a big catch radius and uh, and able to catch the ball away from his body, not just not just mm-hmm. tra- and trap it. You know, like I said, you want that out of any receiver, obviously, but uh, but it's very good for a for a tight end who's who's uh, big and strong like Kolar is. Uh, more of an inline guy. And, you know, again, playing that, um, you know, half a body ahead of the of the right tackle, probably mm-hmm. most often, as opposed to even uh, sorry, uh, uh, slightly behind the right tackle and motioning or, uh, you know, being used in the backfield or whatever. I, I anticipate Kolar will be on the line of scrimmage most of the time. Yeah, he gives you that positional overlap with Mark Andrews. Um, just a less uh you know explosive version in almost every way uh at least at this current moment i think the big thing for him and likely will be their ability to block i think that's the way that they will find the field if they aren't able to really add enough in the blocking game they're gonna have a hard time getting Boyle off the field and they're gonna have a hard time really justifying being on the field because the key is with this tight end like idea and philosophy going forward is they need to provide enough value as a blocker to warrant their likely less uh you know physical gifts as far as being a wide receiver right and i think i haven't seen like this is not flashy right i haven't seen any clips of them blocking yet i haven't seen any reports of people talking about how they're blocking so that's one of the big things i'm looking forward to at camp and at preseason games is really keeping an eye out for how their blocking is going um yeah, de- yeah definitely one of the things to look for particularly under live fire is exactly what's going on with them 
and, and you know, the thing I look for is can they keep their feet? Mm. So they gain the get a level two. They're much larger than the guys they'll block in level two or level three. And that pr- includes almost every tight, uh, sorry, almost every linebacker, but it definitely includes every single safety or cornerback that they'll have to block in level two or level three will be a guy who's smaller than them. So the key is don't become lungy like a lineman out in front of a screen pass who's trying to deal with a quicker player. And, you know, be, be more like Miles Boykin. Maintain your feet while you block and maintain your block effectively. Use your length well against these shorter arm players. And and hopefully these guys are, are, are both the, the sorts that will do it. But uh, Kolar is is uh, interesting dude because he certainly makes all kinds of sense for, for play action. He's, he's in, in maybe kind of a little bit of a Hayden Hurst light. He's certainly not as quick as, as Hurst was. But uh, but a good receiver, definitely top receiving skills. Hurst came in with that uh, pedigree as well. And uh, Kolar, the entire offense ran through him at Iowa State. In, in a way, he's already been through the Mark Andrews trial of you know seeing the offense that completely depends on being the bailout guy. Yeah, and I think his like off the field intelligence, so to speak, might also um, you know help him with learning how to be an NFL tight end. So I know that there's a big learning curve being a tight end, but because he's like got the engineering background and all that, you know, he might be a quick learner. I don't know. So I'm looking forward to seeing his growth through the year. I think if he can be a 70, 80% Mark Andrews substitute, that'll be a big deal because I think giving Mark Andrews less responsibility would be lovely. Um, just from the overall growth of the Ravens. Yeah, it'd probably be good if he took less total snaps. And I don't know if they'll really go to that. But Mark Andrews needs to be able to come off the field and not have the drop-off be too great. And that probably means coming off on first or second down. Uh, look at Mark Andrews' 2019 usage, and he was essentially a designated receiver. When he came on the field, he got the ball a very high percentage of the time uh, for for a tight end, anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think he... I think he was actually the target, something like 21% of the... Uh, no, I, I might have it wrong. I don't, I don't want to say it wrong. But his his uh, target share relative to snaps was one of the things that I'm sure really pissed off Hayden Hurst, is that Hayden Hurst was having to, having to play other downs that they were, the Ravens were not as likely to pass, and they were bringing in Mark Andrews on third down, a lot of the ones where they had more obvious passing situations and taking Hurst off. And so Hurst said, I, you know, i got to play somewhere else kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I, I, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I hope that they could get by with maybe sixty to seventy percent of the snaps this year from from Mark Andrews, and keep him as fresh as possible. I think whenever they've done that for Hollywood or for Andrews, they've been a little bit more effective uh, than otherwise, and uh, and maybe you know, some of the fatigue that can lead to. Um, you know, not judging the route correctly, or potentially even not being able to get up to 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 you know, tip a ball or, or to, to, to catch a ball uh, that can lead to interceptions hopefully would uh, would be reduced. Yeah, definitely agree with that. I think also looking at these tight ends, um, you want to see how they want to use them, right? And that we won't know until the season starts, but I'm curious to see their how they're integrated, what positions that they're asked to play, what kind of packages, what kind of plays, all those mm-hmm. things um, are it's super interesting. And I don't think just looking at 2019 will be enough because there are different players than Hurst was. And it's also just a different team at this point. So mm-hmm. that can give inspiration. But I don't think 
I, I don't see him being, oh, that was Hayden Hurst. It's like, oh, that all those plays are back. I think it'll be similar but different. Right. I, I agree. I, I think, you know, they'll use they'll use players in, in scheme that, that kind of makes sense. Uh, they had more options at receiver and weren't great options, but they had a, a you know, a slot receiver back then and Willie Sneed. Mm-hmm. They had they had guys they could go to and depend on the slot. Now this year James Prochet probably gets the first opportunity out of the slot. Um, and then the Ravens had some really interesting and difficult decisions to make with it, where they used Duvernay as opposed to Wallace. Uh, you know, will Wallace be a pure Z receiver, a pure outside guy, uh, more on the strong side? Maybe I, I think that's that's quite possible. Uh, we'll see how that works out. If he if he does it, I think Duvernay then gravitates back to more of a gadget role and a you know designated long ball guy. And it's not bad if you're that. That's not a terrible role to have. You know, if if you're if you either come in and you either run a vertical or you play a gadget, it's not terrible. It's not. I'm sure it's not what he wants. I'm sure he <laughs> he wants to play a, a good balanced receiver role and and have targets that are all over the field and you know be a guy who has a connection with Lamar and all that. But uh, but if you can do at least a couple of things like that, that really it, it, it means your play is not given away uh, from his from his entry into the game, you know, because you can still run a lot of different things from various uh, vertical routes that one guy can run or all of the gadget things that Duvernay can bring on the field for you. Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing as well with this less choreographing of the play based off personnel, based off of mm-hmm. alignment would be. Um, be great because they had a lot of tells last year and it's bad when like the casual fan can tell right or I guess we're not yep. terribly casual we do shows about them every week but <laughs> you yeah. know we're not like you know in the building all the time you know that kind of thing we're not we're not being NFL players doing the film study that way right if, if we can tell watching the game every Sunday they'll be able to tell for sure yeah, I, I, you know, sometimes I, I kind of bristle at the notion that that uh, uh, that there's a there's a high degree of predictability to the offense, or that you can tell exactly what's coming by the by the way they line up. But there are elements. There definitely are elements that they gave away, and there and more importantly, last year, there are elements they didn't have to threaten the field horizontally. So they didn't have an outside speed guy. Well. You just cut out twenty five percent of the playbook, probably or more. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and they, and you know they they don't have tra- tackles they can trust. Well, that changes your whole oh, passing sure. offense. Yeah, you have to you have to uh, scheme the ball out quickly. So, all of those things really combine to limit the offense. And blaming it on Greg Roman in a year like last year is just kind of to me spurious. It's it's uh, it's it's the wrong place to place blame. Oh sure, yeah, that wasn't what I meant by that comment. I was more so just saying, yeah, there weren't not blaming no, no, you, no, my friend. No, I know, I know, no, you know, no, I, no, I know, I know. I'm just saying, yeah, for also to make it clear, I guess, to the audience, so to speak, it's like, yeah, that the the predictability last year had a lot to do with the personnel, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but and that's that's what we're trying to remedy with all these additional bodies is let's let's not have that. So yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing how this all shakes out. Do you want to move on to likely? Or? Uh, well, I, I, the, the other thing I want to say is that uh, the point I was kind of making in, in terms of where they use Wallace, where they use Duvernay on the outside is that um, if, if they've got a slot receiver in Prochet that they probably are, are good enough with, and I think he should you know, get an opportunity to excel. We'll see what he can do this year and see if he can build that relationship with Lamar, see if he can find space, see if he can uh, juke a, a, an opposing slot corner off the line of scrimmage mm-hmm. and do some good things. Um, but 
when they're looking to play a big slot receiver, like a lot of teams do, the Ravens have two potential groups they can go to. And one is one of their four big guys they have in camp that are wide receiver, UDFA wide receivers. Okay, mm-hmm. And one of them might be yeah, like Benjamin Victor is coming back and I put him in that group. But Makai Polk is somebody that, that people have specified as a potentially a, a big slot receiver. And was it Wally Re- uh, uh, Raleigh Webb? And then the other guy is, oh, I know I forget this, right, is Devon Williams, who's 6'5", 211, uh, could be an ex-receiver if, if, you know, something happened to Bateman, but uh, you know, also it could be a backup ex-receiver, but it could be a big slot as well. The, the interesting thing about this team is that because they have two extra tight ends in Likely and Kolar that are big guys, I think it's going to really limit the opportunity for one of these UDFAs to make the team where his primary usage is going to be as a big slot. I think the Ravens are more likely to try and go with four guys in a vet acquisition or four guys only active on game day, which maybe is the more important distinction mm-hmm. that they want to try and avoid a fifth activation at wide receiver because you got you got to have deactivation somewhere. That guy's probably helping you less on special teams, probably. Right. And... And then give that effectively that big slot job to one of your two tight ends. I think that's fair. And I think that's another way for them not to be, uh, you know, like you said, active on the, how can they be active, right? We saw Prochet be inactive near the end of the stretch mm-hmm. and um, not to go into like my dissatisfaction with that. But the, the reason why is like, you don't necessarily need all those wide receivers all the time. And I think, going off of that as well is well Perche didn't provide too much in special teams because of he wasn't the returner Duvernay was I think with uh the tight ends like will they be able to produce with special teams as well are they going to be asked to do any special teams roles I think that's another way that they can find their way um onto the game day roster do, do you think based on what you're saying do you look at this as a four to make three tight end group on a weekly basis? Meaning mm. you, you you have four on the roster because you want to play a lot of 13, but in any given week, you only have three active. You hope you make it through that game. Maybe if you don't make it through the game, then Ricard can take some of that role to, to give you the option to still have 13 or maybe give up on it because, hey, 13 personnel is still not that many total snaps. It's, you know, six snaps a game or something if you're really using it a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but it's not 20 snaps a game. Yeah. I, I, I'm actually having a really hard time figuring that out, is my mm-hmm. honest answer. With the four to make three, I don't know. Like, I think it, it's really going to come down to a lot of variables. Uh, Boyle's health, Kohler, and Likely's development. I think in the best scenario, it's, it's four to make four. I think they want to see all these players out there. But I could see early on in the season, it'd be four to make three. Yeah, it's, you know, it's strange, but one of the places where the Ravens may actually have versatility to create that extra roster spot is in bringing back Khalil McKenzie for another year where he's a defensive, sorry, he is a eighth offensive lineman, as the roster says, and the game day activations say to get the eighth offensive lineman to get your last roster spot activated. But what he really is, is your emergency fifth defensive lineman. And maybe a short yardage player, goal line player for for defense. Probably he never plays an offensive snap. Mm-hmm. Okay, but the way he's been designated for this team, 
you know, gives you an option to do that. And that option really, I mean, he's one of the really intriguing guys on the roster because he's definitely not one of the Ravens' 10 best offensive linemen. If, yeah. if, they, if they wanted to find their 10 best offensive line, maybe somebody else. But that's not his value. His value is he's, his, <laughs> in his designation that he's, that he's an offensive lineman who actually plays defensive line. And you can go through a game with seven active offensive linemen effectively and use uh, Khalil McKenzie on the defensive line as your fifth guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> they should just have a filet designate as a... <laughs> <laughs> Maybe as a defensive guy. By the way, not impossible, and that's certainly something the Ravens have done historically: is bring on some uh, players to play uh, a defensive line. I think Ben Grubbs uh, played in a goal line situation, but I know Orlando Brown did. And in fact, Orlando Brown is the only Raven in team history to start 17 games in a 16-game season. And how he did it was in 2003 in the game at Oakland, they lost late in the year 20 to 12. Uh, it really was a big blow to their playoff hopes. But the Raiders returned an interception, I believe. Yeah, it was interception um, by the Ravens to the one yard line after the Ravens' first offensive drive of the game, the, the drive that started the game. So the starting defense rolled out there from the one yard line. The Ravens went light in terms of defensive linemen, but when they're down at the goal line, they want to have four down defensive linemen. They put Orlando Brown in to start that game. And then he also started the game on the other side as, <laughs> as the right tackle for the team. So he anyway, he got 17 starts that year. It's a, a kind of a, a, a weird thing. He doesn't he, he obviously only shows up with 16 games started and any kind of stats <laughs> you'll see, but but in terms of of, of uh, starts offensive and defensive added together, he's he's the only one ever to do it. That's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. So it's uh, it, it was just one of those things you, you kind of latch on to. I guess we haven't talked too much about Isaiah Likely. What are your thoughts on him? He was one of my favorites coming out of the draft. Um, I was really hoping to see him in a Ravens uniform, so I'm pretty excited about that. Um, and I know there was a lot made of the fact that we weren't able to get Calvin Austin at that pick, and then they went to Likely, and it felt like a, uh, a fallback opportunity. But I do think with them picking uh, Likely after already picking um, – Kohler earlier in the round, they must really have liked him, right? I know they mm-hmm. kind of it's come out that it was one of the costas guys. I think, yeah, I mean, it's just, uh, it. I really like him a lot. I like him a lot. I think I, I could see him being more of an impact player this year than Kolar if everyone stays healthy. I think Kohler provides a lot of uh, versatility where if Boyle was to be hurt or if Mark Andrews were to be hurt, uh, Kolar would be able to step up more there. But I think if we're talking about a third tight end with those other two healthy, I think likely gives you a little bit more um, diversity in skill set. And it, I, I think that will give him more snaps. Yeah, that's a, it's, a, it's, it's a good point. I, I don't think it's a stretch at all to believe that that would happen. So I can't give you bold prediction credit on that. <laughs> but, but, but I, I'll just say that when, when we were doing our draft shows, yeah. uh, I don't know if you, if you remember this or you, I know you were at a wedding and so there was some complication with oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Some, yeah. some of the stuff. But anyway, and, and this was later, this was the third day, of course, and, and we were doing the fourth round. But one of the things was talking about tight ends. We had a little preamble to the show. Uh, might even come up when the first tight end got drafted. But the thing I had done for the tight ends, because there were so many that were close to me in the fourth round, was to try and come up with a pick where I would not be unhappy 
if the Ravens got the guy at that level. And with with likely it's actually pick number 95, which would have been at the end of the third round. Mm. Uh, yeah, I think pick number 100 or 104 or something like that might be the end of the third round. But but 95 I would have been, not been terrible with. Ravens ended up trading number 100, so they didn't get a chance with, with the uh, Brown trade. Mm-hmm. So they didn't get a chance to draft him there. But uh, they didn't take him with the pick for Fahalele. They obviously didn't take him when they took Jalen Armour-Davis. Uh, then they took Kolar. Kolar I had at 115 is the place where I would have been, uh, you know, that would have been a place where I would have been happy getting him. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, it's interesting, you know, how that how that fourth round worked out because I think the Ravens got a bunch of quality uh, lottery tickets. They're going to they're gonna hit on, on, I hope, on three of these guys. And that, that would really be spectacular if they if they hit on them with with a um, with with a player who has a good four year period with the Ravens, whether they lose him or not at the end of that, a good four year period with the Ravens. Yeah, I know we always, um, you know, have this very rosy picture coming out of the draft uh, and, and see like only the, the, the ceiling for a lot of these players. Um, right. I do think it, it I think three. I think three might be a little short selling at the group. I, I feel like you really have a high chance of having four or five. Um, and that's, that's super exciting. So we'll see. I mean, we'll definitely see how it plays out. Um, I think it really will come down to a couple key positions. I think Falele, Armour Davis, um, those are the Pepe. and Pepe. Yeah. Those are the three that make it challenging. Right. So, um, we'll see, but yeah, I'm, I'm really high on this uh, group of fourth rounders and, and likely may have been my, I don't know. It probably was actually my favorite because I really liked Falele and Armour Davis there too. So mm-hmm. yeah, it, it was a really good round for them. Um, likely it has the speed to really be an interesting aspect. Um, you know, we're, if we're talking about having four tight ends and not a fifth wide receiver, he's not so slow, <laughs> right? That you would mm-hmm. say, Oh, well he, He'd be a slow wide receiver, but he's not so slow that he couldn't be on the field. That makes sense. Now, I heard, I heard <laughs> a good explanation of this, uh, and and I forget what, who I was talking to. It might have been might have been Michael Crawford. We were talking about maybe special teams players, mm-hmm. and uh, actually, no, it was one of the, it was one of the opposing AFC North guys. So I couldn't tell you exactly who it was, but they have another Coastal Carolina player who ran a pro day forty at the same at the same place that Likely did. And the thing that he said, or that the whatever the Browns or Bengals, whichever one it was that that, that selected this guy, said that the something was funny about the track at Coastal Carolina that was producing very slow forty times, and it made it makes complete sense when you look at Likely and how quick he is on tape relative to that forty time, which is just terrible. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's got to be something. You know, it's got to be something. And, yeah. and this may have been one of these wonderful things like Orlando Brown's terrible combine, which, you know, drops him into the lap of the Baltimore Ravens. And, you know, maybe the, maybe the Ravens have gotten it again with Likely. Yeah, and, and the Cooper Cup story where he ran a slow 40 and the Rams were elated <laughs> because they knew oh, yeah. he was faster than that. And he's like, hopefully someone will drop it on his boards, you know. And, you know, they have the GPS data on these players. You know, they have a lot more data than these 40 times. I think that they can... They can. They know what they have. Yeah, <laughs> and they and that that player tracking stuff is is a lot better because that gives you the uh, the actual play speed. Mm-hmm. You know, that's with a helmet. That's you know looking for the football. That's <laughs> right, you yeah. know, all of the way more valuable all of the things that you hope to get. Mm-hmm. 
All right. Well, two other guys on the, on the outside, uh, probably looking in. Josh Oliver, who got some snaps last year, uh, did not really impress. And uh, if I'm correct, he's entering year four or is it year three right now? Let's make sure where he is. I think it's four because he had the injury year and he had the year after, then the year with year. us. Yeah. You are correct. Yeah. So I like Josh Oliver. And then I was sad to see that he got injured. And then I was sad to see that he didn't do anything for the Ravens. <laughs> I was really excited when they uh, made the trade for him. I thought that he might have a real opportunity to, to be something, um, which might be, uh, you know, the, the cold water on my excitement for these other tight ends. Right. So, <laughs> yeah, because I, I liked him. I, I thought he had uh, some potential um, when he when he got drafted to Jacksonville. So we'll see what happens with him. Um I think he will get a lot of looks during preseason, um, mm-hmm. mostly just so they can try to see if they can extract any value out of him or if he's worth keeping around in a practice squad role. Um, I, I think if he plays well enough, he, he'll find a home at another team, though, uh, just because of the depth we have. I could see him making the roster if we hadn't drafted four tight ends. Right, so if, if all of that is with the um, understanding that depth has to hold up. And one of the oh, yeah. things the Ravens are really good at is having an extra player around that's one more than they need. So you can you can end up cutting that guy. And, and a lot of teams, as I think you allude to, will look at the Ravens' tight end position and say, whichever one of these guys they, they don't get, we're going to get. And if you're, you know, if you're second or third or fourth in terms of the uh, pecking order on the waiver wire, you don't worry too much about making a trade with the Ravens for this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe the Ravens come to you and try and strong arm you and say, hey, look, uh, we're trading New England unless you unless you want to make a better offer than a conditional sixth-round pick or whatever. And maybe somebody bites on that. But, you know, teams that are way down towards that end of the order aren't the kind that are likely to overpay for a player like Josh Oliver, even if he has a break preseason. So... I would agree with you. I think, you know, he's the kind of player that a lot of other teams will look at for a potential immediate playing time mm-hmm. situation, whereas Tony Poljan, uh, the Ravens' other guy, is a much better bet, I would think, to stick on the Ravens' practice squad. Not that Oliver couldn't, but but because, you know, he'll pass through waivers, and so will Poljan, of course. But I, I think Oliver's the more likely claim and a, a, a guy who's more likely to, uh, to to find a home playing elsewhere than Poljan. Yeah, and I don't know why that necessarily is. Maybe it's because of just Paul Jan's like lack of draft pedigree. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I, we just haven't seen too much out of Paul Jan yet to really make an opinion one way or the other. He has a lot of interesting traits, obviously, a uh, very large guy. But um, yeah, I'm curious if he again. Both these players are looking to see if they have any flashes to really warrant um, any trade bait or. Uh, even, I mean, one of them are definitely going to be on the practice squad if if available, right? Um, but I think we'll we'll have to see how they how they shake out. Um, I would say in early part, Oliver has a higher chance of being involved with the Ravens if he's not scooped up. But if he is scooped up, I think the Ravens are very comfortable with Poljan. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I would agree. Um, I think that, uh, uh, you know, he, he, he would probably be the only tight end on the roster. Uh, there were people who had him in the top tight ends out of the draft. Uh, was last year? Is it, is it really only last year that he was? Yeah, it was. It was 21. Hmm. Um, but, uh, but then there's going to be other people who look at that, you know, almost 4.940 
and they're going to be pretty unimpressed with who he is. Uh, he's, a, he's a big, long guy, can help you in a lot of ways. Good three-cone for, for a guy his size, but uh, uh, that's just that's just kind of ponderous in terms of that. So he's really got to make his living as a blocker uh, more than other guys. Yeah, I'm, I'm wondering. So those are the only guys on... They have to have some more camp bodies, don't they? I think that's it for now. I mean, they only have 90 slots, so the, you know, carrying six tight ends is kind of a lot. Mm. I'm sure if they dropped one, they'd pick somebody up. But I'm looking at the Ravens roster right now, and that's the only six that I see. Uh, ben Mason, uh, yeah. but not really. Yeah, I, I was just looking yeah, at their roster, too. Um, yeah, I guess, like, I just know how many uh, wide receivers they have in camp, so I just felt like surely they have one more tight end, but I guess not. Yeah, you're, you're right that Ben Mason is a combo guy. I don't even remember if we talked about him. Let's go ahead and do it right now since since uh, since you're there. But... Yeah, he'd either be somewhere in there between the fifth and seventh tight end, but definitely a guy I think the Ravens hope to, that will slip through to their own practice squad mm-hmm. and be available if a inj- if depth does not hold up at either position. You know, he, he could all of a sudden find himself the starting fullback for the Ravens if Ricard were to go down. So, uh, you know, it's it's not a terrible position to be in, and. Uh, when there's only eight teams using a fullback in the NFL or whatever it is right now, uh, to, to any degree, being the backup as one of the people who really use uh, you know 15 or 20 snaps at a fullback every game or would if it was you is more importantly uh, is is better than playing to a team that plays six fullback snaps and otherwise wants you to play special teams. Yeah, it's actually kind of good that we uh, stumbled upon this Ben Mason bit because I think he's an interesting player in that. Um, like you said, they probably want to keep him around for uh, some kind of Ricard um, insurance plan. But the question is then, I think we don't think he'd be that impactful, right? He probably is not a super high quality player based on the bouncing around and stuff. Would a tight end of the four that we talked about earlier be worth exploring fullback like snaps with in that situation, right? Is there another... Uh, tight end that's only listed as a tight end right now that could have a comma fullback? Um, I mean, you know, the only guy who really makes sense is Boyle, and you need him at his position. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess if you absolutely had to, you know, convert somebody, uh, he would be the guy. Uh, you know, Mason is a somewhat smaller guy, 246 when he came out. By the way, I'm looking at one thing that I was unaware of before, but 689 three-cone for Ben Mason. That is absolutely terrific. The, the Ravens' slot cornerback is barely within 0.2 seconds of that. Hmm. And slot corner is the position where you really expect people to be great three-cone uh, players. Hmm. Uh, that's that's if if i just looking at this there's nothing else about his draft profile that's all that spectacular 477 40 uh not exceptional length uh you know a little bit uh not a great broad jump not a great vertical and his vertical is 37 and a half that's not terrible or anything 29 bench reps at 225 is some real strength mm-hmm. so that's that's good i could i i mean i can see why they like him but they to me it's kind of almost a curse on anybody coming out of Michigan. They have to be better than they really are in a sense because I don't trust the process. Mm. I just I, I don't trust what's going on there informationally um, between the Harbaugh's. It immediately strikes me as somebody who might be a 
um, kind of a oversold to the Ravens guy. And I know David Ajabo is in another category um, mm-hmm. in, in that regard, so I'm not concerned about that. Uh, and, and, and maybe this year we're, we're in a better position. The Ravens are in a better position having McDonald been there personally last year and not trying to um, be a seller <laughs> as opposed he's got to be on the buying side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's, you know, he's going to say no to some players. But, you know, every, every NFL um, – uh, sorry about that. The Oriole game coming back on after delay. What a game tonight. What a, yeah. what a freaking game tonight. Uh, we're, we're recording this, by the way, on uh, July 24th, Saturday, and the Orioles just had a uh, six-unanswered run comeback from, from the uh, Yankees' 3-0 lead. And uh, heroics all around for Jorge Mateo on uh, – uh, on runs three and four to get the game tied and go ahead, including a dash from first to third base. Uh, this game will probably be an Orioles classic by the time <laughs> this uh, comes out already. So uh, anyway, uh, a great game. And we're talking about Ben Mason, but uh, uh, yeah, I forgot what my point oh, is. I mean, it has to do well, with McDonald being a buyer. Oh, yeah, yeah. Just like, even though, you know, he, he has a couple of good traits, but, you know, him being... Uh, worth the draft pedigree and all that unlikely yeah this okay so i remember what my point was Mm. so with with mcdonald in terms of getting a job i know he he has to go through a lot more of the strainer being a second round pick being an injured guy having to go through the the due diligence and that the costa would want in terms of getting that value out of the guy it's not just going to come down to i really like that guy um but if you look at other gms who, who move and, you know, Douglas going to the Jets and all of the ex-Ravens he picked up on the fringe of the roster. He got those guys because he scouted them in many cases and, and he he liked them. Rex Ryan took a bunch of Ravens with him because he knows exactly what he can get out of them. He knows them personally. In, a, in, a, in one sense, it's kind of a good thing. In another sense, it's kind of a confining thing that you're not saying, I'll, I'll look at the whole field and I'll try and pick a guy. You're saying, I know this guy. I'll, I'll, I'll take him because I know he has the characteristics that I can get by with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think I may have spoke earlier in the show. Bishotti was the one who liked Likely uh, in his like uh, Studio 44 interview. So, hmm. yeah. All right. Well, terrific. Outstanding talking, uh, talking tight end with you tonight. A- always a great time having you on, Alec. Uh, tell folks where they can find your work online. Sure. Yeah. Uh, one Winning Pod is the podcast I do with uh, Chris and Peter. And uh, we'll have another show coming up soon where we're doing our state of the division. Usually we do it in June, but we've been waiting for uh, a little news out of Brown's camp and it's just not coming. So we're, we're giving up and just doing it now. Uh, so yeah, the, uh, the, that episode will be coming out probably next week or I guess relative to the 24th. Right. Uh, and then um, you can also find us on Twitter at one winning pod. All right. Outstanding. Uh, other folks out there, if you'd like to get on a film study short, still got time. Love to hear from you. DM me on Twitter. They're always open. And ideally, you have a nice narrow topic that we can discuss in 25, 30 minutes. And uh, love to have you on. We'll get back to you very quickly to set it up. Alec, thanks again. Always a pleasure, my friend. Thanks. We'll talk to you next time on Film Study.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.